following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Before we really jump deep into that, I just want to, I want to speak a word to those for whom Father's Day is difficult, and that can be for a variety of reasons. Um, for some today, it's tough because you know, they don't know their dad or their dad has passed away. Uh, and I just want you to know that you know, personally for me, I've never met my natural father, so I, I can understand how that can make Father's Day maybe difficult, uh, at the very least confusing. Um, for those of you who perhaps are feeling the sting of that today, I just, if I can just share with you how incredibly meaningful the, the situation with me and my natural father, how, how it's made it mean so much more to me, the fact that God sees me as his son and invites me to see him as my father. Man, that means a lot to me. And it's also made me really grateful for the men in my life who have stepped up to serve as fathers in the faith. It's a, it's a very real thing, and it matters very much. Um, and I would just, I would offer those same encouragements to those uh, who maybe know their dads but have broken relationships with them or, or for whatever reason today could, could possibly be difficult for you. Um, if I could offer you those encouragements, it's, it has helped me greatly. Um, and, and the idea of fathers in the faith is also a, a potential encouragement for those who who may have wished that they could be a dad, but were prohibited for some reason. Uh, you know, we're going to get into this a little deeper today, but the role and responsibility of fathering is, is not limited by common DNA. It's not at all. In Paul's letter to Timothy, he calls Timothy his true son in the faith. What does that mean? Well, it, it, it opens a door for us to explore this reality that the family bonds that are forged by Christ and his gospel, they are both powerful, but also eternal. And they really should never be shrugged off as if they are second best. You understand what I'm saying? We, we use the language of church family, particularly here, and, and, and some might think that's kind of just cutesy Christianese stuff, but it has really deep meaning that is rooted in reality. When Christ takes someone from darkness to light, from death to life, takes them from not having a people to having a people, from being basically orphaned vagabond rebels to now being in the family of God, that's a very real thing. And that's going to be there for eternity, you understand? That's not going to change as a result of maybe friction in some kind of temporal relationship as sometimes happens here. And so... We should sign up for the reality that uh, we're going to be enjoying each other's company, family of God, for all of eternity. So those of you that, you know, are irritated with each other, figure out how to get over it. <laughs> figure out how to like each other, because you're going to be doing this a while. Amen. We'll be standing around the throne together in awe of the glory of Christ together. And, and I do, I understand that maybe <clears throat> you've not experienced having a good father in the faith or children in the faith um, but if that's the case, I would, I would encourage you to pray for those relationships in your life so that you can experience just how real and precious they are. Um, those, those binds, those, those connect, that connective tissue that brings us together as the family of God, man, that was purchased with the blood of Christ. It's precious and it's real. And we should think of it as such and, and live accordingly. Uh, but... You know, for those of you that today might be difficult, I'm just hoping, I want to I invite you to navigate days like this the way the Lord has helped me navigate them, and, and it's this. No matter what our circumstance in the natural sense may have been or is, we have, this is true, a perfect heavenly Father worth celebrating today. And my prayer is that we will all be able to genuinely rejoice in Him. Amen? Awesome. Okay, so... With that in mind, let's read Proverbs 6, as I said, we're looking at verses 12 through 19. And uh, <clears throat> Solomon's direct nature, as he writes wisdom literature, is <laughs> immediately evident. 
This is Proverbs 6, verse 12. A worthless person. All right. You ready? A A worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, who spreads strife. Therefore, his calamity will come suddenly. Instantly, he will be broken and there will be no healing. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly to evil. A false witness who utters lies. And one who spreads strife among brothers. Praise God for his word. Now, if, if we were trying to get an idea of what a good dad looks like, These verses would actually be very helpful because they show us the exact opposite. Now, before we unpack that, I I, want to establish a premise that's going to be very important because I'm I'm going to, once I establish the premise, uh, I'm going to move forward as if it's legitimate and should be uh, adhered to, okay? So if you still disagree and uh, you don't have a lunch to get to afterwards, come see me and we can talk about it some more. But I I believe this is true, okay? And and what is that? And I'm hoping that by establishing this premise, it's going to hopefully widen the application of what we're looking at today because there's many of you who, even though all that's been said thus far, you're like, oh, oh, okay, here's we got a Father's Day message and you might be checking out for whatever reason you would think that would be appropriate. But the application here is is far wider than than just to dads. Uh, I mentioned earlier the idea of spiritual or gospel fathers. And I use the example of Paul and Timothy, right? Paul, writing Timothy, says, my true son in the faith. And so here's the premise. Here's the big thing that you're going to have to decide if you're going to agree or disagree with. Uh, I believe every single man, regardless of whether or not he has biological children of his own, should take up the mantle of being a gospel father. I believe that's scriptural. Now, I'm not just going to ask you to take it there, I'm gonna, we'll work on it together. So let me explain why. The main word I would use to boil down the description we read today of a wicked and a worthless man, if I was going to boil I get one word to say all that was said here. I would say that man is a predator. Okay? Why am I saying that? Well, it's because it's the exact opposite of what a good dad should be, which is a protector and a provider. And, and, and maybe you're like, mm, I don't know if that's the best word. Well, work on it with me, if you would. Just keep an open mind. And so when I say that this guy in the Proverbs, the wicked guy, is a predator, and that's opposite of what a good dad should be, being a protector and a provider, where do I get those words? You weren't just going to accept that premise just because I said it, were you? No, you want, you want something to back that up from the Bible, of course, because you're Bible people, right? Okay, good. I'm glad. Don't just take what I say, man. Make me back it up with the Bible. And if I don't, then ask questions. Throw something at me. Did we hand out the tomatoes this morning? By your laughs, I'm I'm getting that we didn't. So don't throw communion cups at me. That's probably a little bit sacrilegious. Let's not do that. But ladies, if you got something in your purse, man, just whack me with it. No, no, nobody gets to stand up here and just say stuff. We're Bible people. Amen? So let's work on this. Where do we get the word protector and provider for what a dad a good dad, should be. Well, because that's what God is for us. And he's the perfect and ultimate example of what a good father is. Well, where do we get that? Let's work on it. Psalm 46, verse 1. So I'm going to deal with protector first. Is that a good word for God as father? Is it a word that should translate to human daddies and and when they're doing a good job of reflecting the image of God the Father? Is protector a good word? Is God a protector? Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. Our refuge and strength. What's a refuge do? Protects you from stuff, enemies, whatever, weather, all the things, right? God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Not only is God a protector, he's an ever-present protector. Boy, am I happy about that. Thankful I serve a God that doesn't have to take breaks. Because if he did take breaks, that'd be right the moment where I'd find some dumb way to get in trouble. <laughs> He's not looking. 
scamper off, toddle off into trouble. Or it'd be, you know, it'd be when the enemy would try to strike. But my God's always on patrol. Amen? Doesn't need to take a break. Psalm uh, 12, starting in verse 5. Because the poor are plundered and the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. God's a protector of the oppressed. This is a common theme throughout the scriptures. If you haven't seen that, uh, I welcome you to look further. It, it won't be hard to find. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3, what are we doing? We're still working on the premise that God is a protector, and thus, human daddies that want to reflect what a good father is, our God being the best example, they should also be protectors. So is God a protector? 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We could keep going. Those of you that are familiar with your Bible know we could just keep on reading descriptions of God being a protector. It's a pretty common theme of which I'm very thankful. So that's a pretty well-established premise. So is, is God's a protector. Is God a provider? Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Does that say God's a provider? Well, what it does do is say, don't be anxious about anything, and we tend to oftentimes be anxious about provision, about things that we're going to need, and we're going to read, most of you probably already anticipated, we'll hit Matthew 6 here in just a second to button this up, but... So what do we do with that when we're anxious about the things that we need? Well, we don't need to be anxious for anything. Why? Because God's going to provide. Not only will he provide what we need, but he'll provide peace in the meantime. That surpasses understanding. Boy, that's helpful. Is that helpful for you, man? That's helpful for me. Because sometimes in my ignorant pride, I start to just imagine that I need to understand exactly how everything's going to work before I can trust in God and have peace. Well, <laughs> that's silly of me, isn't it? I'm not going to understand. I don't see everything he sees. I'm not God. He is. He's absolutely a provider of not just, and when we think provider, we normally probably think of, of material needs, but you have a need for peace. Do you know that about yourself? I'd, I'd take peace over food sometimes, right? I'd take peace over a lot of things. Peace is important. It's something that God provides in great abundance. He's faithful. We're looking at the, the idea of God as provider. Matthew 6, 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink. So now we're getting to natural stuff. Maybe somebody would tend to hyper-spiritualize the question. Well, yes, yes, God, God is a provider, but of, of spiritual things. Spiritual things. Well, what's it say? As to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body, this gets to what we talked about last week, talking about work and the sacred spiritual divide that we make up in our minds, what to, what, as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They do not sow nor reap nor gather crops into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? The answer to that rhetorical question is yes. Aren't you thankful that from the perspective of God... You are far more important than the birds, and yet he takes care of them. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single day to his lifespan? And why are you worried about clothing? Notice how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor, nor do they spin thread for cloth. Yet I say to you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith. Do not worry then saying, what are we to eat? What are we to drink? Or what are we to wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly father, your heavenly what? Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be provided to you. That's a helpful truth, friends. It really it narrows the scope for me in a really helpful way because it's very easy for me, I assume for at least some of you, to get distracted with feeling like what I need to do is seek those things because the idea that the, our Heavenly Father knows that we need them, I, I have a, a scriptural commission to provide for the needs of 
my family, but I, I, I got to get this straight. I got to realize that first and foremost, my job is to seek his kingdom, is to seek him and to trust that he will be the ultimate provider of all things that I need, that my family needs. All the circles and spheres of responsibility that land on me, ultimately he has said, son, sit down, those actually land on me. Now, does that mean I get to just take the approach we talked about last week when we were talking about works in, work in Proverbs 6? I get to just sit down and, and play video games and, and uh, eat chips and, and hang out all the time? It's, oh, God's got me. God's the provider. Some of the way God ordains to provide is through gifting his people to be able to work, and work is an essential part of our purpose as humans, which I'm not going to get into. If you weren't here last week and you don't like what I just said, give me a shot. Go listen to last week's sermon. We worked through it at length, okay? Still on establishing the truth that God is a provider. This is important. I know I'm belaboring the point. I know some of these verses many of you could have quoted, but it does not hurt us to be reminded of these truths. Because daily, friends, if we're honest, these truths are assaulted in our hearts and minds. Uh, He is a refuge and keeps us from falling prey to those attacks, but man, it can be hard to keep these things, no matter how many times we've heard them, in view, especially when it really counts. James 1.17, every good thing, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Talking about God being a provider coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Very thankful that God in all of his promises, it's not just that he keeps them, he he never changes. He took the chance of us being worried about, okay, well, yeah, I know he's he's done all that stuff thus far, but is he going to keep doing it? Yes. The Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what I wanted to do there, the reason we took that time, is I don't want to just take for granted that using the words protector and provider to describe our God, our heavenly Father, is right and appropriate. I think, and again, we could have, I could have spent all day giving you more biblical evidence that those are, are perfectly acceptable and, 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 and helpful words to describe who God is as Father, protector and provider. I just chose a few. So that, I'm, I'm hanging that premise up as if we've established it, okay? God is protector and provider. If you're still not sure about that, I'm happy to have a conversation. Now, let's extend the premise to this, because Genesis 1, verse 27, says that mankind was made in the image of God. Have you heard that before? Mankind was made in the image of God, a very, very important principle that has a lot of important implications not least of which is that part of what it means that we're made in the image of God, it it speaks to our purpose, that part of our purpose for existing as humans is to be visible images of the invisible God to the world. Part of God's intention in creating humans in his image was to have representation in the earth as his children. That's, That's why we stand apart from all of the rest of creation. That's why... Matthew, in chapter 6, doesn't blush or back away from the idea that you, dear ones, are more important than birds. I know that that premise is challenged by many today, and I can understand where they're coming from, and I'm not trying to pick a fight with them, but I'm just saying for us here, as the people of God, people of the Word, that's an established premise. That humans, because they are made in the image of God, stand alone in the created order. We're the only ones made for the specific purpose of being God's children. And so that being the case, part of what we're meant to do is is display his image to the world, to reflect his image to the world. And so God is creator, he's king, he's judge and master over all of the universe. And yet he's all those things, really big, impressive titles that he deserves and owns completely, right? But there's one way that he invites us most often throughout his word to relate to him. It's not judge, king, creator, it's father. More often than any other title, and all of them are right for him, we can come to him in in prayer and, and, and address him as any of those things, and that's right. 
But his invitation to us, friends, and this is precious, if, if, if the precious nature of this invitation has wore off on you, if, if, you can, if you can really stop and think about this and it doesn't affect you in some way, I would, I would encourage you to stop and ask God to help you. Because it should never, ever become a common thing to us that the God who is creator, judge, king, ruler over all, also said, you can come to me and call me father. If you've gotten used to that, pray that whatever scales are on your eyes, whatever dust of religion may have settled upon your heart, that that would, that would be set ablaze and, and those, that, that rocky exterior would be broken down. Because it should never be that the people of God are not touched, are not thankful about the fact that we are his children. And he invites us more than any other way to relate to him as father. And so all of this, this, this whole, what may have seemed like a side trail, it's really not. All of this is to establish this premise that every man who cares about fulfilling his purpose as an image bearer of God should seek to move through this life as a protector and a provider and not as a predator. Every man should be looking to share the love of our Father by relating to others like he does. Because he is God, he is Father, he is good, he is protector, he is provider, and we are his children, his image bearers. So back to my original premise, you'll have to decide if after all that hard work I just did, if you're still going to argue with me about it, I'm just kidding, you can if, if that's where you're at, but back to the original premise, every man should pick up the mantle, whether they have biological children or not, of being a gospel father, simply because of who God is and the fact that we're meant to reflect his image. I heard a half an amen somewhere about that. Is there anybody else? Can I get a witness? Okay, Good. I know that was a lot, and, and, and it kind of stacked on each other, and we had to think through it, but it's important. That's an important premise, because it, it speaks to all the rest that we're going to deal with here. And ladies, I, I want to make sure, I know it's Father's Day, but I want to make sure I'm really clear that we need gospel mamas too. This is not just a dad thing. There, there are several places throughout the scripture, I'm not sure if you've thought about this, it's, it's important, where the love and the compassion of God is described in maternal terms not paternal terms. What do you mean? Well, when Jesus talks about wanting to gather up the wayward like a mother hen gathers her chicks, that's one example of what I mean when I say the love and compassion of God is described in maternal terms. Now, don't get nervous. I'm, I'm not going where some go, which is to get ambiguous about the, the primary way which we relate to God. I don't think the Bible opens up for us the opportunity to come to God and address him as mother. He has made it very clear that we can address him as father. Again, thank you, Lord. But he has not said that we can come to him as mother. And so maybe you don't like that, and I, I can get why, but, but I want you to understand that back in Genesis, it wasn't just that God made man in his image. God made man and woman in his image. And there's this element in which the, the, the distinction between, the distinctions between men and women is that, that those together can give us a more circumspect view. I don't think either, I don't think men, as in, you know, males or females in and of themselves uh, have the, the, the full range of potential to reflect God's image. That's why he made two different genders, right? And, and that's built into his purposes. And again, I get that there's all kinds of reasons, counter-messaging and things, things that would maybe say to you that that's, it's not okay to say that. I, I understand that, I, but I'm just a Bible guy, okay? So you, you're sitting here, and I'm teaching the Bible, and that's what we believe. So, you know, I'm, there's many reasons beyond what I have time to get into here to see why this is not only logical on God's part, but uh, good for mankind, and uh, if, if you're open to conversations about that and would like to have them, I also am. So amen, all right? But it would be, we'd get way off track if we try to get too deep into that in this context. So um, <clears throat> but what I'm saying is we, we don't just need gospel papas, we need gospel mamas. We absolutely do. Um, and that is another way that as image bearers, women, so same premise, I think whether you have, 
biological children of your own, um, if, if you're a woman of God seeking to reflect his image in the world, you should, you should seek to pick up that mantle of a gospel mother. There's so many people out here. Do you not understand this? Surely you do. There's so many people out here walking around with intense levels of brokenness and pain because they were not mothered or fathered well. Do we understand that? I mean, clearly. Okay? And so what do we do about that? Do we just quote stats and and have sad faces or do we get in here and do something about it by the power of God? Well, what do we do about it? We pick up the mantle of being gospel fathers and mothers by God's grace and power. That sounds like a lot of responsibility. Yup, yeah, you picked up on that. Good job. It is a ton of responsibility and it can be really scary. But God's not asked you to do anything that he's not gonna provide the power to do. That's, that's just the way he works. And so you may be hearing this premise and your, your major pushback might be, bro, I'm having a hard time keeping myself out of trouble, right? Like, what do you mean pick up the mantle of gospel father and mother? And I hear you. And praise God, you're self-aware and, and you understand that that might be where you're at. But friend, this is not about you. At least let's set the bar correctly. At least let's look at what the goal should be. Because sometimes doing that is, is what helps pull you up out, man. Love is powerful, right? Above all else, Peter said, keep fervent in your love one for the other because love covers a multitude of sins, right? There's, love is really powerful. T- talking about gospel mamas, do you, do you guys understand there's, there's a reason why it's, it's well known that you do not get between a mama bear and her cubs. You understand that? They don't say that about the, the papa bears very much, but you get between a mama bear and her cubs, and she will, she will eat you or scratch your eyes out or whatever. And, you know, some of you ladies aren't 700 pounds and furry, but you get between, someone gets between you and your babies. And, you know, whatever that tie bow was you picked up a decade ago is coming out. Some of that type stuff, right? I didn't even stretch this morning. Did you see that sidekick? That was pretty good. Feeling good this morning. Father's Day. You guys know what I'm talking about, though? Probably not now. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. That's all right. I get, I, get a little more, I get a little more freedom on Father's Day, right? You guys let me do some sidekicks and stuff and say some wild things. All right. Amen. We're having fun. So, <clears throat> really, as humans made in the image of God... To reflect the image of God, one of the greatest, let me say that with a different emphasis on the words, as humans made in the image of God, to reflect the image of God, okay? Big premise that I need you to buy into is part of what you're here for is to reflect the image of God, okay? So in order to do that, one of the greatest ways we accomplish that purpose is by walking in the role of good parents towards as many people as possible. Good gospel parents to as many people as possible. And, well, why is that? Because we're reflecting the image of the best parent there ever was. Father God. Okay? So, that changes. You understand why, before I started this, what seems like long deviation from the text, this widens the application scope. Okay? Where some of you today may have... I start getting into the details here of Proverbs and the the opposite of what a good father is. You could be like, okay, when is this over? Father's Day sermon, right? I'm talking to all of you. Amen. So let's go ahead and and get into the specifics. Let's work through this text, okay? We started in verse 12. (laughs) A worthless person, a wicked man. All right, Solomon. Solomon. Gloves are off. What, what does that person look like? Is one who walks with it, this first section here, um, 13 through 15, let's say there's a pretty common theme, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth, who winks with his eyes. That one's probably a little clearer for us. We're still in the vein of perverse behavior here, right? Winking with the eyes. This is uh, flirtatious signaling for sexual promiscuity or whatever else, okay, who signals with his feet. That one's probably a little weirder for us, most of you. Um, And I don't know exactly, I don't know that we have any record (laughs) of what this may have meant in the ancient world, 
I do know that in like roughly 2008, there was a senator, a state senator arrested somewhere um, for sitting in a bathroom and like tapping his feet under the stall because that was like a well-known sign for trying to elicit sex. So I don't know, maybe this was prophetic. Hopefully that hasn't always been happening. I mean, good Lord, it's weird, but... um, that's, that's, we're still in the same vein is what I'm saying. Signaling with the feet, it's, this is all about perversity. Who points with his fingers, who with, and, and you see that we're still there, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, who spreads strife. Then of course we, we get the promise that God will deal with that. So this, <clears throat> I boiled it down. I said this, what this worthless, wicked man looks like. You're gonna, if you're going to pick one word, I'm, I'm saying predator, okay? And what does a predator do? You know, that, and that, that lines up with description of the father of all wickedness. We see from, again, the book of Peter, where he said that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so what part, of, part and parcel of wickedness, part and parcel of being, doing, doing deeds of darkness, both letting them fester in our heart and then manifest into behavior, is going to be a predatory perspective. What do I mean by that? Well, at the simplest base level, it's looking to get from people or take from people instead of give to people. And that's a lot of what we see happening here. And, and this, this goes along with all iterations of perversity that could be discussed here. Because ultimately what that comes down to, a perverse mind, a perverse heart, somebody that's hyper-focused on that, it's a hyper-selfish focus on their own needs with very little regard for what it may cost someone else. Some willing to go to the length of hurting others in order to satisfy their own perverse desires. That's a predator. Okay, That's not a protector or provider, for sure. We need protectors and providers against predators. That's why Jesus is also called the chief shepherd, and we're called sheep, right? And look, I know many of you are very tough, but but you, at one level, are a sheep, and you need a shepherd. And and if you belong to Jesus, you have one. And his staff is long, and he knows how to use it. Amen. And he loves us, and he he will crack that lion directly in the bridge of the nose and handle him, and I'm thankful. The worthless person, the wicked man. This, this, this whole first part, it, it focuses on, <clears throat> on perversity. I've tried to lay out to you why that is in and of itself, to be allowed even to, to manifest in, in the thought life, and normally it happens there before it ends up becoming a behavior thing, why that's predatory in nature. And I don't know... <clears throat> I don't know that that's ever been any clearer than it has been recently. Um, and I want to address it because this is, this is a complicated sermon to preach in this cultural moment for a variety of reasons. And I want to address that. I don't want to just act like it's not there, okay? Here's, here's the reality. All in one sermon, we're, yes, we're looking at this as, as the opposite of what a good father does, as what a a protector and a provider does, which is care for people instead of trying to hurt them. So we're seeing that as an opposite. We're talking about the fact that there is spiritual fatherhood. There is this thing, this mantle that we should pick up. And yet at the very same time, many of you are aware of headlines of those who were supposed to be in the position of spiritual authority, spiritual fatherhood. And and maybe the most grotesque iteration of being worthless and wicked men use that very position in order to do these things, to take advantage of and hurt people. <clears throat> and, I, I mean, I just saw, I don't know, I don't want to get into details. I just saw another video recently of another deal, and it's just every time, man. I, I just, one thing I hope's not happening is that um, as God is faithful to his promise to bring every single thing done in darkness out into the light, that we don't get numb to it. Look, man, there's righteous anger, <clears throat> and, th- and you should, yeah, this is, this is worth being angry about. 
especially those of you that are taking seriously what I'm talking to you about, this, this gospel father mantle, <laughs> people being hurt and taken advantage of by those who are supposed to be the ones caring for them, if, that, if, if your blood doesn't at least start to boil a little bit, pray about that too, because it should. Now, what, what we do with that is we got to be careful, because my sinful tendency is not to trust in this. What, what does the scripture say? In another place it says, never take vengeance yourself, right? So that's one thing. Verse 15, therefore his calamity will come suddenly, instantly he will be broken, there will be no healing. Right on the back side of this, God makes sure to remind us again, nobody's getting away with anything, okay? Now, I believe there is <clears throat> repentance available for all people, but it, 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 it's got to be genuine, and that's going to include not doing that kind of stuff anymore. And if you were in a position of authority, and out of that position of authority, you did something like that, part of what repentance will look like is you are no longer in a position of authority. 100%. Okay? And I want to speak to, because it's not just individual things. Many of you are probably aware of, <clears throat> it's been in the headlines, if, if you're paying any kind of attention, the very large, well-known Christian denomination here in the U.S. just had a study released about <clears throat> not just abuses that happened, but abuses that were ignored. And... Uh, because we're here and because we're in this subject matter, I know it's Father's Day. Um, you know, I, I did the jokes, but we have to talk about this. All right? This is serious. I want you to know, I want everyone that's a part of Love City Church, if you're a visitor, this, this may seem a little weird. This, this is kind of a family discussion, but maybe you're here looking for a place to connect, and so you need to know this too. And honestly, every, every, this, is, this is just the way it should be. All right? Some of the way... This stuff goes on and doesn't get checked, doesn't get dealt with, doesn't get squashed immediately is because of, what does it say? As it moves on here, we see that the Lord hates what? A lying tongue and a false witness who utters lies. There's ideas that, first of all, because people are willing to lie and not tell the truth, but then there's these lies that, that Satan weaves into people's hearts that things like this. If, if something happens where somebody that is supposed to be an under-shepherd representing Jesus caring for me, right, and, and being good to me on his behalf, somebody in that position is being spiritually domineering, abusive, or there's some sexual element to it, people get afraid that if, if I tell the truth, no one's going to believe me. Let me say this clearly. That's not true here. You will be heard. Some people think, oh, if I tell the truth, then I may, I may hurt other people's uh, walk with Jesus because they'll be disappointed with the leader. Let me just help you with something. That's a lie from the devil. If there is something going on like that, we're hurting people's walk with Jesus by not telling the truth. This stuff gets brought into the light. That is the culture that we're going to have here. And what happens if that happens? First of all, whether maybe you're visiting here today, maybe you're going to have to move at some point. Let me just pass to you for a minute. Let me say something to you. It's very, you know, there's all different kinds of churches that love Jesus and, and they're doing good gospel stuff. And, and if you have to move or God calls you somewhere else, all I care about is that you're in a church that loves Jesus and is truly preaching the gospel and that that's the center of what they're doing. But one thing I also very much care about is that you're a part of a church that has a functioning, listen to me, functioning plurality of elders. Let me explain what that means. What that means is, if, if there's an org chart for Love City Church, Pastor Vince, just because he planted the church and originally started the thing off and was the one wild enough to try it, just because of that doesn't mean he gets to just tell everyone to jump and, and, and then everyone else says how high, or that he's above being able to be questioned. I want you to understand something. We have a plurality of elders. Every single man that sacrifices his life to the degree to be able to serve this church as a pastor has the same level of authority. So if I do something that you feel uncomfortable with, if you feel like I'm abusing authority, if you feel like I'm stepping anywhere outside the bounds of the character of Christ and what a shepherd should look like, I'm telling you right now, tell somebody. Tell on me. And here's what's going to happen. You love me, you care about me, you don't want to hurt me, I'm appreciative of all of that, 
And you may think, well, maybe it's just me. Look, man, if that thought lingers more than about 15 seconds in your mind, tell somebody. Because I would rather, maybe it is a perception issue on your part. Maybe I did or said something and, and, and you had something, some existing wound and it was a miscommunication and maybe I didn't really do anything. And, but look, I would, rather than you sitting there thinking about it, I'd rather you tell somebody. Let's talk about it. Let's bring it into the light, man. All of it needs to come into the light. And I'm using myself as an example, but I'm talking to any of these other elders, anybody that's in spiritual authority that's a part of this church, you see something that's off base, you talk about it. We're not hiding nothing around here. You all understand me? That's the kind of culture we're going to have here. Because what we're not going to have is 20 years from now, finding out some, some, of, this, some of this stuff. <laughs> what we're not going to have is in 20 years, finding out some of this stuff was going on and no one ever knew. And someone just had to sit and suffer. Nope. And there are mechanisms in place. The other elders here can remove me. If all the elders lose their minds, there's an external board of pastors that you guys can go to, okay? There, there's never gonna be, you're never gonna be put in a situation where we all, we all go crazy and you have no recourse as a church. That's never gonna be the case. And even if you think you smell a whiff of something and it's bugging you, talk about it. And you can, look, hopefully because of this, if, if you think something's there, and if you think it's me, come, come talk to me. Like, I, listen, I'm not going to be offended by that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel loved by that. Let's at least have a conversation about it. Maybe, maybe it is a misunderstanding and we can talk through it. But if we can't figure it out, then we're going we're gonna to bring the other elders, get them involved. If we can't figure it out, we're going to get other help until it's figured out. Amen. And that's how it should be. We're not hiding stuff. And we're not doing false guilt and shame. We're not doing, oh, I may, I may hurt the church or I may, I may hurt someone's spiritual walk if I, if I say something about this. No, no, no. People's spiritual walk is hurt when things are able to be kept in darkness by that kind of manipulation. Okay? Everyone good with that? Anybody got anything they want to say? We got a mic up here, right? You know, don't storm the stage. That's probably not the best way to do it, actually. I'm joking about that. But seriously, man, let's talk about it. Um, I, I mean that. We're not, we're not going to have this kind of stuff going on in the darkness and people feel like they have no way to talk about it. And, and if I'm, I'm sincerely sorry if that hasn't been more clear before now. I hope it already was. And if it hasn't been, it should have been. Okay? But that's how we're going to roll. Amen. Now, there are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, you could boil that down to just pride, and that's in there. You guys kind of know my deal, my personal reflection over many years of studying scripture. I think that pride is the mother of every other sin. I'm not the only person that's come to that conclusion, Um, but I I agree, I think that's true, so... and, and. being humble before the Lord is a pretty important thing for Jesus' followers if you read your Bible. But I, I think a haughty eye is even more than just a prideful tendency. And, you know, it's interesting, this, this six things which the Lord hates, seven which are an abomination to him, it, it associates each one with kind of a, like a body part and what it does, which is interesting. You go to the New Testament, there's teaching about like the, the flesh and the war we have against the flesh, right? And so there's some continuity there. But a a haughty eye is one that, it's it's not just that the person is prideful, it's that that because of that, they they see others as less than, as a disposition, as less important. And this, this piggybacks upon that predator idea. In order to be a predator like Satan is, you you have to have haughty eyes. You, in order to be okay with just going out here and being more about let me get what I can get from people and not care about whether it hurts them, you have to have been convinced that you're better than them, more important than them, something. And and maybe they maybe the person that's deceived in this way hasn't put all that together, but that would have to be the case. If if I'm if I'm willing to just take from you so that I get what I want, right? I, that's haughty eyes. I have too high of an estimation of myself and too low of an estimation of everyone else. Where we see in the scriptures the very opposite is supposed to be true. 
supposed to have the same mind, Philippians 2, that was in Christ Jesus, who, right, wasn't worried about equality with God, but took the form of a servant and went all the way to death, even death on a cross for us. That's who we follow. Oh man, I didn't know I signed up for something that intense. Well, you did. So you're here now. Get rid of the haughty eyes. A lying tongue. Predators have lying tongues. They're willing, again, with haughty eyes, you're not worried about, if you see someone as less than, you're, you're willing to lie to them. Whatever, they're, they're probably too stupid to get it anyways. That's sinful, man. It's wrong. It's an abomination. Does that get your attention? Six things the Lord hates. I'm, I'm sitting up in my chair. Seven that are an abomination to him? Boy. I'm, now I'm paying attention. I should always be when I'm in the book. But man, that's like, okay, what do I want to stay out of here? Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. This comes back to a lot of what we just kind of discussed. It's, <clears throat> it's not just... At one level, this isn't, this isn't, it's not countering the idea of Romans 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not saying that there are some who are innocent in that way. We are all sinners. But what it is saying is God is particularly <clears throat> angered by those who will use positions of power to take advantage of those who are weaker. In that, in that situation, one, one is is an innocent victim and one is an aggressive predator. God sees it that way. Okay? And, <clears throat> man, that's an abomination to him. And he's, he's not going to deal lightly with it. Don't, and this is not just in the church. This, is, this happens in corporations. This happens all over. There's all, there's all different kind of strange <clears throat> power dynamics at play in the world. And if you're willing to take whatever little bit of power you think you have or perceive that you have, and use it to try to put your thumb down and hurt people that you perceive as less than you, that's an abomination to God. You should repent and stop. The Christian life is to follow Jesus in a race to the bottom. Jesus went lower than you could ever go. He was higher than you'll ever be, and he went lower than you'll ever go. But he's called us to chase after him, the book of Romans says, outdo one another in showing honor. Right? We're meant to be servants of all. Not, not to be out here seeing who we can get, what we can get from. A heart that devises wicked plans. This is different than stumbling into sin. This is different than having your foot caught in a trap. This is different than um, us just kind of doing that bumbly, imperfect thing we do as humans and getting ourselves into trouble. This is a heart that devises wicked plans. This is a heart that knows what it's doing. This is a predator that plans their path and how they're going to wreak their destruction. There's, that's two different things. And God will not deal lightly with those who are so calloused in their predatory instincts to try to want to harm others that not only do they end up hurting others sometimes just because they're imperfect and they fail from time to time, but because they plan to do it. And all of these, again, remember, you, in whatever way you can think to flip and, and make an opposite out of all of these, and most of it comes down to being a humble, willing servant, as opposed to wanting to help and bless instead of hurt and take from people, right? That would, th this helps us see the flip side of the coin. If we're trying to understand what a good gospel parent looks like, what a good gospel daddy looks like, whether you have kids of your own or not. Feet that run rapidly to evil. What's that mean? It's not, it's not somebody that just, again, ends up stumbling into things, but somebody that is excited about getting over here and getting in disobedience to God and, 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 and harming others with their sin. It's not, it's not just, oh man, I, I, I failed and I realized that and... and, and I'm genuinely repentant about it. That's, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about somebody that looks for, for disobedience to God and thus, anytime you're disobeying God, you're going to be hurting others. Maybe you haven't thought that through yet, but that's true. They see that and they're like, ooh, that's exciting. And, and they're running over there excited to get involved. Again, 
The Lord's not going to play with that. A false witness who utters lies. This is not just dishonest for the sake of dishonesty. The distinction I see between the two, a lying tongue and a false witness, a lying tongue oftentimes, because that seems repetitive, doesn't it? A little bit redundant. And it is at one level pretty easy. Satan is the father of lies. Don't lie. You guys got that? Like the kids got that downstairs. But there's a lying tongue. I would see, I would see it as a lot more like lying to make yourself look better. Whereas a false witness who utter lies is going a step further even and lying to make others look bad. A lying tongue is I'll, I'll lie to kind of make myself a little white lie so that someone doesn't think so bad of me about this thing. But someone that's a false witness who utters lies is willing to go much farther. They're willing to lie to make others look bad. Either one, God hates. It's an abomination to him. That's what we're talking, you guys know what we're still doing here, right? We're reading abominations to the Lord. Let's stay out of these. And one who spreads strife among brothers. The book of James says where there is strife, there is every evil thing. Somebody will, sometimes people will use scriptures like this as another way to try to muzzle uh, people that would, would tell the truth about abuse or, or something else going on. That's not what we're talking about. It, telling the truth about sin is not strife-stirring. However, on the other hand, we do sometimes have a tendency to be strife-stirs. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like being easily offended. It looks like being someone that buys into and spreads gossip. Uh, it looks like being someone that uh, has haughty eyes, maybe, and maybe, maybe you have quiet haughty eyes. You don't go do anything about it, but really as you sit and you observe other people around you, you're not noticing the reasons why they are uh, unique image bearers of God. That doesn't even hit the radar. What you notice is everyone else's faults all the time. You're very keenly aware of where everyone else is a bummer and probably pretty keenly aware of how awesome you are in comparison. Friends, that's a coping mechanism, and all it is, it's just, it's just a red flag to let you know that you've not yet been able to fully enjoy what it means to be a child of God and have your identity rooted in Him. You want to know what the cure for haughty eyes is? Realizing, I don't need to compare myself to others, because Jesus, the ultimate authority on such things, all things, saw me as so valuable that he shed his blood to have me. The author and, and the creator of all things, right? He decided I'm that valuable. So you don't need to keep trying to knock everyone else down a peg to feel like you're okay. That's not how we do this. Actually, what it does is it frees you to be an encourager. It frees you to speak life and hope and encouragement to others, to notice what is cool about them that God has put in them. And to speak about that freely because you're not worried about that making you look less in comparison. Man, are you starting to get a, just even a glimpse of the beautiful picture of what that could look like if we got set free like that? Man, insecurities are a big bummer. Jesus doesn't want you to live like that. He wants you to live free. To be able to be a, a peacemaker. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Not the strifesters, the peacemakers. They'll be the children of God. The Lord Jesus in John 17 spent very much of, of the last, a big chunk of the last several hours he had as the incarnate son of God upon the planet praying for our unity in John 17. Longest recorded prayer we have from Jesus. A big portion of that prayer is him praying that you and I would be in unity the way he and the Father are in unity. Isn't Jesus good at setting goals we'll never reach? <laughs> Thanks, Jesus. Um, <laughs> But what he does in doing that, I mean, just the thought of me being able to be a part of like even trying to answer the prayer of my master, <clears throat> that blesses me. And, and I know I'm not, I'm not going to get to that level of unity with all of you, but it sets a bar for me to strive for that I'll never reach. So I, I, I'm never, I'm, I don't, people that get bored with the Christian life, I'm like, man, you just haven't read the book very close. People that think like, oh, I've done all that. I know all that. Man, What? You're confused. Like, look again. Here, this, is, this thing's deeper than you'll ever go. Amen. And if I was just going to give you a, an overarching idea, 
So all those negatives, again, I'm, 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 there's many ways we could have framed that. Today's Father's Day. Those are all of, I'm framing those as opposite characteristics of what it looks like to be a good gospel parent, either to your own biological children or to others, that God would grant you the access to be an influence in their life. The, the, everything we just read there, those, that's, those are opposite behaviors. Those are opposite ways of thinking to being good gospel parents. Now, if we, if we flip that coin and look to the positive side, you know, there are, <clears throat> there are lists to the opposite that we could go look at, but I, I want to give you kind of a bottom line here. Okay? And here's, here's the bottom line. If, if you have taken today with any level of seriousness the, the premise that as image bearers of God, part of our purpose in, in the earth is to pick up that mantle of being gospel parents. If you've been able to, to buy that, you think that's right, and, and, and now you're going to pray about and ask God to help you to do that, but you're going to find yourself trying to figure out, all right, what does that mean in this particular instance, right? Because we didn't cover all the instances, because we can't do that. So how do we do that principally? Here it is. The gospel is always our best compass for knowing how to walk out our divine purpose as image bearers. It's our only hope also when we fail to do that perfectly. Why do I say that? Because what, what did, when we boiled down the, this wicked, worthless person and all these things God hates, these abominations, what it comes down to is somebody that takes the position of a predator versus being a protector and a provider, right? And, what is, and, and boil that down even farther. What does that look like? It's somebody that either takes a disposition of I'm looking to take from people and harm or I'm looking to give to people and help. And what's going to determine how you're going to function in, in either of those ways? Well, friends, it's, it's going to come down to what we see God doing for us in the gospel. It's going to come down to whether or not do we love people enough as image bearers of God to prefer them above ourselves. What's going to determine whether you end up a predator or a protector and a provider it's, it's going to come down to love. How much of the love of God has been able to root out from your heart the pride and selfishness that would drive you to care more about what you want, what you think you need at the expense of others than it would to cause you to lay all of that down, not, not be so worried about what you think you need, but seek first God's kingdom, seek first the fame of Christ, the preaching of his gospel in the world for the benefit of others and then trusting him to do the provision, trusting him to know what you need a large part of the time, better than you do. How many of you have gotten there? That's a, that's a fun realization when you get to that point, isn't it? Like, dang, I, not only will he provide what I need, ha, over half the time he knows way better than I do what I actually need. I, I can trust fall into those arms. I'm glad I didn't tip any farther because I might have been doing one. Friends, what I'm telling you is, man, so I've laid this big premise, man, it's a big call. Yes, it's a big mantle. What do I do? Continue, continue what I'm trying to encourage you to do every single time we open God's word. Soak and immerse yourself in the gospel. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do that. Soak and immerse yourself in the gospel. The gospel will be the compass that will guide you on what it looks like to be an image bearer of God, to walk in love, to be sacrificial instead of selfish. And the gospel will also be the thing that protects your heart when you fail to do that perfectly so that you're not drug into condemnation, but you're able to repent and run back into the arms of the Father who loves you. Amen? Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. God, thank you so much for Proverbs 6. Uh, thank you. Lord, I thank you that your word is not... Uh, it's not scrubbed and it's not polished. It's real and it's raw and it deals with real things. Thank you that that means we get to do that um, as your people, that we don't have to live at some veneer level, um, but we get to get all the way down to the heart. And um, that's what you are looking at and that's what you care about and that's what you encourage us to look at. Lord, I, I pray a blessing over every single person that, that hears this sermon. I ask God that you would... Um, anoint them. You would remove every ounce of fear that might hold them back from picking up the mantle of being a gospel father or a gospel mother. 
in every opportunity, in every place, for every person that they can. Because, Lord, this world is wrecked and ravaged, and there's so many people absolutely shattered because they have had a lack of the love of a good mom or a good dad. That was not your design. That's not your intention. I thank you, Lord, that uh, you've placed us here to be salt and light and to work with you to fix what is wrong because of sin. I thank you, Lord, that uh, your gospel is our ultimate guide in doing that. Um, Please help us know more and more each day what that means and how to walk it out. And I thank you that it is by grace alone that we're saved, that you showed love for us when we didn't seem like we were worthy of it. Help us remember that as well as we go out into the world and try to obey what it is you've taught us today. We love you, Master. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.